Hello, welcome to ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 75. On the outside, all we see is clay that hides the perfect light. No one really knows the pain inside. Understand how much it hurts to be the one who's never seen the missing pages in the magazine. No one knows you. Day slumber with uh, missing pages. Love that song. A lot of truth to that song. Thanks for downloading the show. Uh, thanks for downloading the ASI program. I'm glad you're with me. I'm uh, honored that you've chosen to spend this time uh, listening to the show wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is. I am honored and humbled both at the same time going to talk about a subject that uh, is very, very incredibly weighty for me. Uh, the, the, the topic is truth, and um, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote uh, the full armor of God, is going, to, is going to talk about putting on garments. Uh, the last two shows I unpacked what we're really putting armor against. Um, some, of my, some of my criticism of, of religious uh, groups, denominations, if you will, uh, recovery type of people is... I'll give you a little bit more of my story. I remember going to basically what was a, a enforced kind of a alcohol uh, rehab type of group. It was, a, it was like a kind of a 12-step type of a group that I was forced to go to because I was um, 18... 17, 18 years old, and I had been caught, um, again, drinking underage or something like that. I was at a party, the sheriff showed up, and boom, I'm in this class where I sit there for, I had to go like on Wednesdays or something like that, and drive to Arlington, and listen to this guy talk about demonizing alcohol, right? Alcohol's a bad guy, look what alcohol does, you know, showing car wrecks to people, and you know. You drink because of this, and you drink because of that, and you drink addiction and all this stuff. And and I just remember, I've always, I guess, had a, a real understanding inside my own heart, I guess, of, of what's really real. <laughs> and trying to pretend that it's not real, but at the same time, I knew deep down what was really real. And I just remember sitting in this class and going... You know, I mean, the guys are sitting here, here's why you drink, and here, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I drink because I want to, dude. You know, I mean, do I really have to show up here? I remember I went the, I went to another one before that, and my friend Tom went with me, and they started handing out, like, these little note tablets and stuff for us to take notes. And my friend Tom's like, are you going to Are you gonna make us right? I will not drink alcohol ever again, like, a thousand times. And everybody started laughing, and, 
But, it, I mean, we just didn't treat it like we were serious about it because, frankly, we weren't, you know. We liked it. We, we wanted to drink, and there was a reason for that. And honestly, it's breaking the want-tos is really when you see freedom. Um, the weird thing about that whole deal is that a few years before I went to this alcohol group, I had actually drank myself to death. Um, I was 16 years old, broke into my stepfather's house, and stole, got into his liquor cabinet. I drank what was left of a uh, half gallon of Bacardi 151, and there wasn't that much um, drank out of it before I started. I basically uh, had my stomach pumped three times. I died for two minutes. Um, no, I didn't see the light, you know, like a moth and bumping into it. No, I didn't. No, I don't remember most of that whole day. So, anyhow, uh, I stopped drinking for a little while, and not more than a, a little while later, because of the identity, the person that I was, the person people wanted to see me as, the person that I had most invested and other people had most invested that I cared about, had most invested in me, um, was Party Boy. Okay, Party Boy's not going to drink anymore. How do you think that went for my identity? It didn't go well. I stopped drinking for a little while, and then I just started drinking beer again. Instead of hard alcohol, I, I just drank beer. Um, I was 16, you know. I think it was like two or three weeks I went without drinking, and then I started drinking again. Uh, and I just realized that I drank because I wanted to, not because I was an addict, you know, putting it in quotes, but because I wanted to. Do you want to call me an addict? Great. But I had built this identity that alcohol, consuming alcohol, being party boy was just a part of who I was, okay? When, when I really started to read the Bible for, for, for my, you know, my own self, you know, not being force-fed religion at church, you know, do this, you got to read the Bible so you don't end up, you know, on crack or doing the needle or, you know, something like that. When I, when I started reading the Bible for myself, not to be a good person, just to figure out who God is and stuff like that, one of the guys I really, really uh, identified with was King Solomon, you know, because King Solomon was that guy too, you know. He, uh, I mean, this guy partied hard. I mean, we, we think we party hard. This guy party... I mean, he leveled fields for the wine, stuff like that. His parties had 20,000 people, went on for weeks at a time, just partying every day. He would hire, like, bands. It'd be like me calling up, you know, I don't know, the Foo Fighters and, and hiring them to, to play my two-week-long party. I mean, the guy just... And, and at the end of it all is like you know what, it's just empty, it's just, same with sex, you know, and, and I'm, sexuality, it runs deep, and that's part of the weight that I have on this show, and, 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 and what I, what I want to talk about, I'm going to just read this part, I'm going to go through each garment that, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about putting on, um, in the full armor of God, and I want to talk about, um, what we're doing as we put on spiritual garments, that this is spiritual armor, that he's not talking about actually putting on a belt 
you know, but he's act, he's talking about it, what it does, how it covers you to help, um, and going back to the last couple shows, to help protect you from yourself and what you may be investing in. So, putting on the belt of truth. Here we go. So, this is Ephesians 6, uh, 14. Stand, therefore. There's that word again. Stand. I spent the last two shows unpacking stand. Standing in the present moment. All right. Hope is worship. Who you are. What are you putting your hope in? Who am I? Wh- what, what am I reaching for? Where am I standing? In my present moment, in, in, in my identity, who are you? Stop and think about that for a second. Who are you? Where do you stand right now with who you are? Something to to pray about. Something to think about. Something to dwell on. Something to meditate about. Where do you stand? What have you built your identity on? And who are you? Anyways, uh, standing, being living inside out, like I talked about in the last two shows, instead of outside in, like that song talked about, there's clay that hides the light on the inside. On the inside, way down deep, we were all we are all image bearers of God. We all reflect His light. Anyhow, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, I'm going to go through the belts. Okay, I'll go to the breastplate of righteousness later, but this is kind of, they're almost kind of two in the same, some of the cross-references that I've done on the subject. Um, The belt of truth. You're going to put on the belt of truth. Okay, I talked about where are we standing, that that in our identity we're standing somewhere. Using my story, when I was uh, 18, 19 years old, and just out of control, self-destructive party boy, right? That's who I was. If I wasn't entertaining you, if I wasn't making you um, laugh or, or you know, being the guy that could get the best drugs or knowing where the parties are, stuff like that, if I wasn't that guy for you, I really had no worth or value in my own soul. That's really what I believed about myself, that I had built this... Um, this outward persona of that, and I, uh, I was, I knew the streets. Okay, my daughter is uh, 18, graduating from high school. When I was 18, I was, uh, I was making meth with my friends. Okay, school got out. It was like June. It was hot, and, and these guys went and got, you know, a bunch of cold medicine and cooked it up at a lab with beakers and just one of those evidences of grace, one of those times I probably should have died, but, uh, you know, these guys made meth, and I helped them, and I didn't know what I was doing, I wasn't that sharp, smart, I'm not a chemist, but uh, I sure helped hook up people at the parties with meth, okay, that's part of who I was at that time, I'm I'm not proud of that, all right, I'm, I'm I'm just trying to get you to understand that I am not your average Bible teacher, okay? I don't know anybody, I I, I really can't name a Bible teacher who's ever made meth. Maybe there is one out there, but uh, anyways, that's where I came from, okay? That's who I was at the time. Now, deep in my heart, 
sure, I, you know, I loved, I, I had love in me, but the more and more I invested in that surface identity, the more and more easier it was to treat women like, you know, like a rag that I would wipe myself with after I got ma done masturbating, right, and throwing the dirty clothes or, you know, like the Kleenex, you know, and throw that away. I, I treated women like that at a young age, and, and thank God that I had people praying for me or, you know, God was watching over me and, and God had a plan for me because I, I tell you what, I just... I, uh, the thing about you know, studying psychology, I really believe that the more and more investing we do in that surface us and when the heart us is reeling against that, like going to the place of love, you know, we, um, we reel against that in our being, in our identity because of that collision, that clash of the surface versus the heart and all the psychology right? All the psychology or all the religious teaching that you may have acquired over the years, it either points to one or two areas. It very rarely goes to both. Sometimes it goes to both, but then it can just become like a bipolar sort of a thing, right? Like I've got to be this guy to prove myself as a good person. So it points to the surface, right? While you ignore your heart and all the the crap or the stuff that may have happened to you. One of the things that I realized going into recovery is that, uh, I hated seeing pictures of me when I was a little kid. It was weird, right? I didn't have pictures of, of me as a little kid around my house. Not sure why. It was just part of my deal, right? I don't, you know, want to see pictures of me when I was a kid. Stupid kid, you know, I don't know. It, that was, just was my deal. Not really unpacking why that was and going into why I despised seeing my, my own heart, basically. Because that kid that's pictures of that little kid represents that uh, that heart me okay represents the the me before you know I don't know before all the stuff before I just gained mud and dirt all over my heart right so you know it, it, that's part of the identity the ripping a part of that identity falling in love for me was a big part of that my wife um you know, God put Dana Shaw in my life, Dana Lindstrom at the time, and, and uh, you know, I fell in love with her. And I totally related to that song by Johnny Cash. I fell into a burning ring of fire. Went down, 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 and the flames got higher. Um, there's a scripture talking about the gospel that says, you know, the, the gospel is either the aroma of life for some and is the stench of death for others. Falling in love with my wife and knowing that she did not tolerate the party guy, right? She was not, she loved me enough. She saw my heart and, and she was not going to tolerate me destroying myself really felt like she was the first person to do that for me, you know, like my parents didn't really care, I mean, they just were too busy hating each other to really care about what I was doing, right, and, um, you know, I mean, that's part of mourning all that out, I was going to come home in a box, or what, I, I don't really know that they uh, cared that deeply about that, right? Because I'm 15 years old. I'm out hitchhiking around, you know, 
Seattle to all over the place. That was me. Just looking back, going, does anybody give a crap? So my wife gives a crap, right? I fall in love with her and my heart gets involved in her, right? I start to, to chase her. I start to, to be, you know, compelled by her. And it, and it became this kind of, you know, that surface guy started to reel against falling in love. And I've had a lot of little surfacey relationships that never really got very deep because I was, I, you know, I was scared of that or I just didn't get involved or it started getting too close and personal so I would get out, say something mean, try and shake them off, which usually worked, or they would cheat on me because I, I don't know. That's usually what happened in the past. So, you know, and, and but I hope that illustrates for you what that means, that whole surface versus heart. Falling in love. I got an email from a listener who said, how did you, uh, you know, kill the queen ant, as you say in your show? And he started talking about step step four and step five and, uh, and the 12 steps. Step four is... Uh, doing a personal inventory, which I think is positive, but it can still be a surfacey thing, right? Okay, and, and that's one of my criticisms of the whole 12-step mentality if it's not done on a heart level. If you don't have really something that you're worshiping that's bigger than just God as you see it, right? Well, I have a higher power that's something outside of me, so I'm going to choose that. I'm going to put my hope in that. That's the thing outside of me. Well, you know, that can be very vague and, and frankly just religion, right? It's just another thing that you put your hope in. So a step four is basically doing a personal inventory and really unpacking your moral self. It's like kind of a morality inventory. Here's what I do. Here's my behaviors. You unpack what you've done, you know, your moral record. Um, the thing about identity and the thing about killing the queen ant is, is part of these garments that Paul's going to talk about that you put on. Putting on the belt of truth for me was brutal. Okay, it was brutal because the heart level me, the instant I put on that belt of truth, the outside of me took a hit. You know what I'm saying? The outside of me was going to crumble. Big chunks of that that outside exterior surface identity me was going to um, was going to have to crumble down in order for people to see my heart. And when I confessed episode forty, how I had been unfaithful to my wife, uh, not only did I crush her heart, and and she still deals with the pain and the, the aftershocks of that just in her own heart, in her own mind, dreams she has sometimes, you know. My friends, everyone who thought they knew me, you know, you think you know a guy. People in this ministry that had been listening to my show into episode 40, you know, they thought that I had had everything out on the surface and I didn't. I didn't have everything else on, out on the surface. I do now because that's who I am. If I'm going to live 
inside out, then, then you know, I had to relocate my identity as far as who I invested in. Who I was in the person that I had invested in had to be ro relocated to my heart and not so much the surface me. The surface me is who you're going to see. It's who you see walking around when I'm doing my job. That's me, right? That the surface is a very huge part of who we are, but it's not the only part of who we are. And the more faking and the more lying, the more investing in that surface person that's going to go in a box. Okay, probably going to be cremated when you die. Whatever, right? That's the surface us. Putting on the belt of truth for me was it was declaring war on that. Love can be declaring war on that surface person. It's going to hurt, all right? I love that song by Johnny Cash, you know? I fell into a burning ring of fire. Went down, 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 and the flames got higher. And it burns, burns, burns. The ring of fire. The ring of fire. That song is about falling in love. Probably for a jacked up person who realizes that as they are falling in love, the surface them is burning. You know? There's not a whole lot of room for the surface you when love collides with your heart. You fall in love with a, with a woman, guys. You, you fall in love with a, a man, ladies. And, you know, you may get married, but uh, building that relationship with God, even underneath that, will sustain that marriage over time. Putting on the belt of truth is realizing that um, that God isn't about you know, you being the behavior police for yourself or others. You deal with your sin on your level in your heart. All right, personal inventory can be like putting on the belt of truth, but I want you to do it as, as part of your heart. If you want to do that as an action step, I think that's great. Grab a notebook and, and look really what you're investing in. What, what are you investing in? On a heart level, what are you investing in? You could start with a surface and go down. I would start with uh, your money. Money is a great one. You can't lie. Money doesn't lie. Numbers don't lie. Two plus two is four. It doesn't care whether you feel like it's four or not. It's just four. Okay? You whip out your checkbook. You can see where your heart is. You can see and identify some of your personal functional saviors. Right? Identity in your uh, your occupation, for example. Here's another one that's weird about uh, Western culture. And here in the United States, I believe this comes from Eastern Europe, uh, the roots of it, is people's last name. Like, if you crack open a phone book in here in the United States uh, and look at Smith, you'll see like a whole page of Smiths depending on what city you're in. I believe the reason for that is there's a lot of people who are in like the smithing business, right? So I'm Bob Smith or whatever. A lot of people's last names were tied to what they did for a living, their occupation, their their lot in life, you could call it that, um, as, for, as, as far as occupation goes. So people would tie their identity to you know, their surface occupation. And it goes right into your name. You know, when you die, you know, that's another thing about going in a box. When you die, you're going to have a new name. you have a different name. 
the heart you basing your identity off the heart that's one thing I love about the American Indians is is for a lot of them their names don't come from occupations they come from like what was uh what was an impact on their father's heart when they were born you know like flying eagle or something like that i love that it's not doesn't tie to some surface identity behavior type of occupation thing it goes and ties to something something beautiful that was in the creation at the time of birth i think that's a, an awesome uh, identity marker for a child so to speak you know there's, there's just a weird thing about occupation, you know. How much stock do you put in your occupation as your identity? You want to take inventory on that. Fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Sit there. Take a look around at your occupation and what you do. Okay? For some people, you start to get into your heart and you start your behavior starts to change. You become a different person at work, you know. You become more real, more honest, more positive for a lot of people. Uh, and you become... You know, this beacon of light walking through a company that manager types love to look at and grab you and saddle you with some kind of a burden of more hours. You know, we're going to move you to some crappy city you don't want to be in or something like that. I mean, what do you love your family enough to put your foot down and tell your boss, listen, I'm going to do what's, what's right for my family. I love my family more than I love you boss or company okay that's another one what is love for you are you going to take a hit financially yeah you probably will I did you know I have a job my my job is is like business okay I can work as many hours as I want and I have I sell pizza in bulk to companies there are companies here in the Seattle area that are working 24 7 they have three shifts. I can work as long as I want to. I didn't know my family. Okay, I'd get home at you know nine, ten o'clock at night. I'd go to bed. I'd get up and do it again. I, I like, who are you people? You know, I, my my son. What grade is he in? I I forget. I seriously. That was me, and I was comfortable being that guy. So money, occupation. And, 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 and comfort, all right? Comfort comes in occupation. One of the things that uh, I believe was a thesaurus or the dictionary came out with a, a words, they, they add words as, as culture changes, as technology changes, words are added to the English language. And one of the words uh, I heard a few years ago was real time. Okay, real time is something that is had to be defined today because we live in a culture where like you're listening to this podcast right now you're not listening to it in real real time right i'm not live you're not sitting in the car next to me as i record this into my uh, audio device here this is not in real time but in your life spiritually speaking you are listening to me in real time because as these words hit your soul you're going to choose to do something with them and a lot of times um, we will sacrifice truth for comfort, okay? Putting on the belt of truth is, is a big part of that is understanding where you exist in real time. So in real time, in right now, these are th this whole uh, inventory, heart inventory, if you call it, want to call it that, is something that's taking place in real time in where you're at right now. 
You know, do you value your job more than your wife? Do you value your kids more than your job or your wife or your husband, ladies? Do your kids get so much of your invo emotional investment, ladies, that you are not investing that much in your husband? Uh, which, which, you know, what are we investing in emotionally, spiritually, on a deeper level? And this comes to sex, okay? This is what, this is the part uh, where it gets uh, choppy, <laughs> right? This is the part where I start offending people. Sexuality, we're going to talk about the dirty stuff. All right, the show is called Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. I'm going to talk about sex. I'm going to talk about your sexual identity in real time on a day-by-day -day basis, whether it's a knee-jerk reaction of your sexuality or it's something that you have intrinsically laid your life on as part of who you are, okay? What defines you? If you're going to do this heart inventory, here's what I'll challenge you to do. Take a, take a piece of paper right on one side, surface, right on the other side, heart. Put a line down the middle and start writing the things that uh, you're investing in. Now, one of the things, if you really get honest, putting on the belt of truth again, if we're going to put on the belt of truth and get honest about our jobs, one of the things King Solomon said is, you know what, it's fine to make a lot of money, okay? As long as the money you make is, you know, you're investing that money in ways that you can get around people, that you can make a bigger impact on the people who are important in your life's heart, your, your family, your friends, your neighbors, making money in order to invest in their life, right? That's, that can be a spiritual investment of money if you make a lot of money. Now, if, you, if it takes you 12, 16 hours a day to make a lot of money, you're doing it wrong, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. If it takes you that much time to make a living, you're not making a living, all right? You're making a living for someone else, a surface living, and you're not investing in their heart and soul, okay? And maybe that, you know, you have to look at that deeper part of you and say, what do I have to invest out of my heart? Who am I? What, what is intrinsically good about me that I can invest in other people, that I can give away? Chuck Swindoll was talking about the uh, this uh, nursery rhyme book. It reminded me of a quote by C.S. Lewis who said, um, I hope you get old enough to enjoy nursery rhymes again. <laughs> what, uh, what Chuck Swindoll was saying was um, he cracked open a, a book, a children's book called The Giving Tree. It's about this tree. I don't know if you've ever seen this book, The Giving Tree. It's, a, it's about this kid who, you know, he, he asked the tree, can I have an apple? And uh, the tree says, yeah. You know, the tree just starts giving itself away. And at the end of the, the little boy's life, he's this old man, and the tree is just a stump. And then the, the old man comes up to the tree, and he says, uh, you know, what? what? He says, I, I need something. And and the tree goes, I, I really don't have much anymore. I'm just a stump. And, and the old man says, that's fine. I just need a place to sit. And that's, it was a great illustration of giving ourselves away. Okay, now you can hear that story and think, well, the tree was a doormat. No, see, where's your heart going? 
Are you investing in the surface you? If you want to invest everything in the surface selfish, it's all about me, you know? Like Trent Reznor said, there is no you, there's only me. That song, only, only me. If that's what you're investing in, then yeah, the tree was a doormat. But if you really want to, if you really have light in your heart that you want to give away, down in your heart, down in your soul, you're giving yourself away. You're pouring yourself out. What does that look like? Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, and this is where I got a lot of this material and how God really spoke to me about these three layers of identity. Peter is talking to women and he's talking about how women, even in that culture, would adorn themselves in their outward appearance, which is fine, all right? You want to look beautiful, that's great. That's part of a woman's heart, a woman's soul. She wants to be admired. She wants to be captivating. Um, that is intrinsically built in women. But uh, Peter is going to say, listen, watch how much you invest in your surface beauty. And, and take some of that and invest it in your heart, you know. And it's going back to respect. I mean, this book by Emerson Eggers or whoever that was, Love and Respect, and just talking about how this scripture means women should um, unconditionally respect their men. Well, okay, what, what does that mean? Are we going to just cur blanche respect them, surface identity and heart identity, I would I would say it means to adorn. If you're adorning your heart, then you can give more to your man out of out of your heart and and encourage him out of your heart and 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 make an impact on his heart. Because if you just give yourself over to respect his surface identity, okay, for men, respect it's like crack. Okay, give me respect. I mean, we we can get drunk off respect. And, and for a lot of men, they can just walk all over their wives. I've seen it time and time again. Their wives are beaten into a pulp emotionally. They're like this, you know, this... Everything's your fault. Everything's your fault. And she's like, yeah, everything's my fault. Everything's my fault, right? You, you, just, you don't just feed someone respect just because... That, that scripture doesn't mean you unconditionally respect your husband. Respect his heart. Respect his soul. Respect the good things that you see him do. Say something about it. Encourage him. I'm going to go golfing with my buddies again for the third Saturday in a row. See you tonight, honey. Well, I respect you. Bye-bye. No. You get better at your swing, dear. I mean, sadly, for a lot of marriages, there's women that sit home and just, they can't wait for their men to leave because he's a jerk. You don't want him to invest in you because it's just pain, okay? Connecting with our, our hearts is going to be deep, all right? I love That's one thing I love about sexuality, going back to sexuality. I got diverted there for a second. But going back to sexuality, it, it has to do with who you are, who are you really, and investing in your own sexual self as a man, as a woman, okay? A lot of guys would, will take a lot of stock in whether, you know, they still got it. Is that woman going to look at me? You know, I'm looking at that woman, or women do this too. You know, they'll dress themselves up. They'll spend, you know, four or $5,000 to get new boobs, right, ladies? 
do you really need that? I mean, is it is it all about you catching a man's attention? A woman's attention, guys? Like, if I don't make eye contact with someone today, that that diminishes my 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 identity? I, are we really that... I mean, that was for me a lot of years. I mean, am I really that shallow? My wife loves me. Is her finding me attractive? Is that enough? Then you can go to sexuality. Well, I'm a homosexual. Are you? Is that who you are? Is that what you are down underneath it all? Is that, you know... I was watching the show The Deadliest Catch, which is about Alaskan king crab fishermen, and this guy was just kind of, you know, stuck in this kind of pattern of behavior, and the way he wrote it off was, well, I'm just, I'm just a fisherman, you know, I'm, that's what I do, I fish, you know, this is what I do. Well, you're gone from your family for six months, and, you know, sometimes you have a lean year, and you don't make any money, and, well, it's just what I do, that's not who you are. That's what you do. Okay, the, the, whole, uh, the whole identity of homosexuality is a myth. Well, I'm a proud gay man. Well, you know, that's, I, don't, I don't understand that. It's just weird. It's a cultural thing, especially here in the United States. The, the term homosexual has become like a, like a class of person. Which, you know, it's your sexual orientation. It's, it's what you choose to, to, to do sexually. It's not who you are. It's not who you are. Who you are is far deeper than your sexual preference on the surface. Well, it goes to your heart. Yeah, it's a little deeper than, than most things, right? It's a little deeper than just your job. You know? Ted Haggard. A, you know, minister, mega church, Christian, evangelical, you know, Hebrew of Hebrews, as Paul would say. I mean, the religion, you know, religious resume, he had it, this guy. I mean, the guy was on the phone with President Bush, who's part of the Christian coalition. I mean, this guy was, boom, evangelical, Christian. You wanted to put a label on somebody, call him the Christian identity. I mean, that, that was this guy. But what did he deal with in his heart? Same-sex attraction or sexual addiction. I really don't know which one it is. You know, there's a lot of guys who, who end up in the, the homosexual in homosexual behavior or in same-sex attraction behavior that aren't really gay, right? Like, they don't fall in love with other guys, but they have sex with other guys. Um, it, it just has to do with, with wounds of the heart and stuff like that. And finding out why that is, is really unpacking your heart. It's not going, well, I'm just a, a fisherman, or I'm just a gay person, or I'm just a sex addict, or I'm just a dog. I mean, you call a man a dog in this country, it's just kind of accepted. The United States, women walk around, men are dogs. Men, you know, they look. Men masturbate in the shower. That's just what men do. Is it? Is that who we are? We're dogs. So, it's like worship, right? If I can get you to do some kind of a paradigm shift and really get you off of looking at worship as like the music at church or come join me in worship, you know? And uh, it, If you can really look at worship as what you put your hope in, then this makes a lot more sense as far as identity goes, okay? 
because your surface identity is very, very fragile. Uh, it's very fragile. It's very breakable. It can change in an instant. Your, your, this whole surface you that you've built for yourself. Like I love that song by Johnny Cash, where, where uh, actually Trent Reznor wrote the song "Hurt," you know, where he says, "You can, you can have it all. My empire of dirt, you know, it's all surface." Like, like King Solomon said. It's all empty. It's all vexation of spirit. It's all meaningless. You know? That surface identity. Because we build on, on something, you know? And for a lot of people, and I've heard this from both, uh, you know, you talk about sexual addiction, I hear this from both camps, whether it be homosexual or heterosexual. It's like, um, ever since I was a little boy, uh, the the gay person, I put that in quotes, might say, um, ever since I was a little boy, I've been attracted to other little boys, and that's just how I am, and that's just who I am, and I just, you know, decided to go with it. Or, if you look at the, the whole Ted Haggart analogy, what happened with him, you know, I just decided to fake it, <laughs> you know, I, that's sin, so I'm just going to fake it, pretend I'm not that guy. You need to unpack it. If that's what you're attracted to, I'm going to argue with you and I'm going to tell you that that's not who you are. And I and I say that from experience because on the heterosexual side, I'm like 10, 12 years old and I am consumed with wanting to see female body naked. I want to see them naked. I want to put my body parts in them. I want to consume them. I don't care about if that's a person or not. I just want to see them naked. I want to consume them like a chocolate bar. I want to eat them like a piece of candy and then throw the wrapper away. That's bent, okay? From a young age, I started building on that because I had never really looked at who I was why I did that and what I had become you know and and this goes for for the homosexual camp okay that group if you want to label yourself as that if you're you know it's just a habit it's a habit you've fallen into to label yourself homosexual that's who I am no it's not who you've built yourself to be by building on that what you're attracted to and now I can wear a t-shirt that you know with a pink triangle and a rainbow and I can wear that jersey it's just another freaking jersey it's like evangelical Christian or Mormon or Buddhist or you know or guy at the bar who uses women it's I don't know you know, okay, I'm just, I just don't understand what people never look at the heart issue and really dig into that. I mean, it's just like we don't like it, right? I don't like it, so I don't want to look at it. I don't like that. Putting on the belt of truth. Once you buckle that sucker on, the belt of truth, you have to look at, you know, why? Why don't you like it? Okay, obedience to Christ. Well, we don't want to be obedient to Christ. And people start there. And that just becomes about behavior, right? 
Why? It, it has to do with love. Understanding the cross means that we understand that God spilled out His wrath on Jesus to save us. He's our Savior. There seems to be this whole um, Jesus Christ guru thing. If we can walk like Jesus, if we can be good like Jesus, if we can talk like Jesus, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? You do that. Go be perfect. Okay, we, we, put, we place Jesus as this guru. If we continue to do that, you know, if we don't look at who he is, okay, there's all this weight on do what Jesus does and not worship Jesus for who he is. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Savior, all right? Let's get away from Jesus Christ Guru and look at him as Jesus, our Savior. You can pray to him. You can ask him to help you in those times of pushing through, you know, what you've always done in that point of pain, to reach for the whatever you used to numb you in the past and reach for Jesus and, and ask him, pray to him. But do it out of your heart, right? God isn't concerned with your data. He's not concerned with all this surface, I did this, I did that, I'm here to confess, you know, with this robotic kind of prayer. Pray out of your heart. It doesn't make sense. Dear God, please help me. I'm, I don't like what I've become. I don't like who I am. I don't like the way this is all set up, Lord, please. Do you ever pray like that? Or do you just look at Jesus as the behavior police? You get what you get because you're not being like Jesus. Do you, do you worship with people? Do you go to church with people who think like that? Man, it's like an 80-20 rule out there. It's about 20% of the churches. I'm talking about the year in the U.S. that really get it. That understand that Jesus is our Savior. That I didn't, listen, I didn't get all disciplined up and just, you know, bear down and and no it was a supernatural change that happened in my heart from the inside out I decided to love from inside of me out Jesus changed me he met me he gave me a new heart that is truth it's not religious voodoo it's not all the psychology that says, well, is this behavior replacement therapy? No, it's not. It's not karma. Okay, it's not karma. No, that's religion. Okay? And you can tell these, uh, like, Christian karma types by, they'll say things like, um, you know, even if there isn't a God... I still lived a, a, a good life, right? Like, like even let's pretend that the atheist is right. You know, they'll say, "And I, I lived for Jesus, and I did these things that Jesus does, and so um, I lived a good life." Either way, um, it's okay because I lived a good life, and I, I was a good person. Okay, and that was for me. Like, okay, well, that's great for you, dude. Um, I'm still a freaking disaster. I want to, you know, I want to have orgasms and beat the crap out of people. 
So, you know, all this trying to be like Jesus as hard as I can is still is like, no, it's just not working out. So having Jesus enter my heart and, and really having the faith to start living from my heart, to start investing in my heart, to start praying out and leaning into pressing into God and just, oh, why am I like this? What happened to me? Who am I? You know, just angry, freaking out. What is up, God? If you're real, please fill my heart. Fill my heart with something, you know? Because Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this full armor of God, you know, when you want to talk about putting on the belt of truth, he goes through First uh, Corinthians 15. He says, listen, if you don't get this, you just don't get it at all. He says, you know, Jesus died on a cross, okay? He died on a cross. God sent him. God came to earth as a man, right? He, died, he lives missional to tell us about how much God loves us. He dies on a cross, and he's raised on the third day, all right? That's Jesus, the ultimate burn against the religious people. They say, okay, you're going to say you're God? We're going to kill you. He says, fine. Comes back three days later. You know, love that. Anyhow, you know, th that was the deal. People saw him raise again from the dead. All right? It says right there, 1 Corinthians 15, look it up. Um, 500 people saw him after after the, the death on the cross. And he did die, okay? This whole Da Vinci Code crap, all right? The guy who killed him was a professional executioner. Okay, shoved a spear up underneath his rib cage into his heart sack. You don't live through something like that. Okay? And and Paul says, all right, there's 500 people that some of them have died, but a lot of them are still alive. You can go ask them. When that was written, those people were eyewitnesses to what had happened. Okay? And then he goes in and he says this, and this totally breaks this whole Christian karma thing. He says, listen, if Jesus didn't rise again on the third day, if Jesus isn't alive someplace, if he's actually dead like the, you know, the Jesus papers people say, if that's all true, okay, we're to be pitied among men. We're not to be, oh, well, he lived a good life anyways. No, we're to be pitied among men. Pity us. This guy at the, at the, the village church, this Bo Hughes guy was talking, did a whole sermon on this. I love this. This attitude of, of, you know, Christian karma. That's, it's, it's, no. Jesus will transform you. All right, there's a, there's a, um, a cross reference from the belt of truth that actually talks about um, coupling this belt of truth around your waist like a Roman soldier would. And it would protect your loins. Like it had this kind of like skirt metal thing on it. So you would buckle it to protect your loins. All right. That's your private parts, all right? Somebody's gonna come at you with a sword, you want something covering that. The most vulnerable part of who you are in your spirit, in your soul, why I tell you to invest in your heart is because that is your most vulnerable point. You, what are you protecting yourself from? It's, it's what you're building in your own identity, you know? And then, you know, it, it talks about the, the, the prophet Isaiah, 300 years before Jesus is born, just nails down what Jesus is going to do, who he is, what happens. They call it the fifth gospel. It's so accurate on the, on the prediction of, of Christ.
And what he also says, it's a, a first, uh, it's Isaiah, I think it's chapter 5. Man, I can't, I, I can't remember. It's either chapter 5 or 15. And he talks about that Jesus will be that belt of truth that you can wrap around your waist. Guard your loins. All right. Jesus says, um, I, I, I believe it's in John somewhere. He, he actually calls himself truth. I am truth. You know? People want to reel against the way things are in the world, and it just ends up, you know, I want to keep investing in the surface me because that's what's comfortable and that's what seems to work for me for a little while. It's like that analogy I had to, to sin and idolatry. It's pissing your pants to keep your backside warm. When I lived in Alaska, that was a tempting thing to do. And I think for most of my life, you know, I think recovery is really not... I mean, what was I recovering to? Something I had never done before. Something I've never learned before. Something I never was. I mean, sexual integrity for me was never, you know, a, a, a reality. I didn't see it as even something I could do. Is it realistic? But I'll tell you, man, pressing into God and, and letting Him transform your heart from the inside out, that's real. That happens. Well, it hasn't happened to me. Did you? What, what are you building yourself on? All right. What are you investing in? What do you put your hope in? Really, day by day, honestly, honestly, what do you put your hope in? So I'm going to tell you to, to, you know, open the eyes of your heart, right? I mean, pray this out. Ask God to reveal Himself to you in your heart, in the deep parts of your heart. Sacrifice, right? We all sacrifice for something. We sacrifice our money, we sacrifice our hours, our life energy, our time. Okay, what I'm asking you to do, and this is why I want you to pray this out, and ask God to reveal himself to you. Um, open the eyes of your heart to see him. Loving out of your heart, not because you get points for it, just so you can love, okay? This whole Christian life, all right? Real first century Christian living is about being. It's a state of being. It's just love flowing out of you. You don't get salvation points. You are not higher up on the food chain of holiness because you do the right things. Okay? You... And the guy that just got saved and is still out there, you know, doing crack and and turning tricks, you and that guy are are equal on the food chain, all right? Wherever you're at, whether you're, you know, evangelical Christian pastor or recently gave your heart to Jesus, crack addict, not sure what just happened. You're equally as saved. You don't earn it at all. You don't earn it. You are not above anybody on the food chain. Not at all. I am no guru sitting up here on the ASI freaking podcast thinking I'm better than you. I'm not. All right? If there's anything that I say stirs the Holy Spirit in you, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. It's not me. It's not because I'm some prophet. It's just... God working through your heart, all right? 
A lot of you, if I walked up to your car, started walking towards you and you were sitting in your car, you'd probably lock the door. <laughs> right? Who's this guy? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not Mr. Got All the Answers. I've just walked on this path. I've just been on this journey. I've stepped on some mines. One of the biggest mines, one of the biggest hang-ups I had was trying to be good enough. I just, it's just karma. It just doesn't work. You get love in your heart and things change. And that part of that's your behavior. Behavior changes with love and that's the truth. So I've gone long. Um, my name is Russ. My email is russ at asi247.org. Tell me your story. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you want to leave a donation to the show, man, I'd certainly appreciate it. It's, uh, it's asi247.org. Click on the donation button. This is a listener-supported type of operation, man. I'd certainly appreciate your donations this time pray pray this out I thank God for every single one of you listening right now if I can do it you can do it man there's more freedom out there than you know and it is mind blowing and I, I just pray that you can walk in it it's a heart condition until next time bye no one knows you anymore.